enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stansberry. Today, we're going back in history, going way back in history, back as far as the oil and gas industry goes, especially the oil industry, back into the 1859 time frame, back to Titusville, all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma today. And we're talking about Keener Oil Company, and we're going to talk with the CEO president of Keener. He's the former mayor of Tulsa, Dewey F. Bartlett Jr. Welcome, Dewey, to the Energy Fellows Podcast. Well, Mark, thank you very much. This is a real honor and a treat. Thank you. Well, it's a great honor for me. I mean, this is the inaugural episode of our show, and I'm so delighted that you were able to join us. The unbelievable history is something I think, you know, students, those that are upcoming leaders, those that are looking for the future, that need help even now, definitely need to relate to what your family has gone through as far as the challenges and the opportunities, and probably can give us some advice (laughs) along the way of how we can get through times that we're seeing today, in, in fact. But before we get to that, I think the audience would love to hear about the history. It's so fascinating about the Bartlett family. Well, it is pretty interesting. I don't know how much of this story has been gilded, but I think it's generally pretty correct. My grandfather, D.A. Bartlett, actually started out in coal business in western Pennsylvania, but he, for some reason, ended up in Titusville, Pennsylvania, working in a general store that was in the process of going out of business. And the gentleman that owned that store convinced my grandfather to take the store over and assume the bank debt that the man had that was causing him problems. So he took it over and made a go of it. There was still some oil field activity going on in the area around Titusville. And people would come in, the operators would come in to buy rope or nails or whatever necessary for their leases. He would advance them credit for collateral. He would take a statement regarding their oil and gas lease that they were producing in the area. Apparently, somebody didn't pay off, and he suddenly found himself owning a producing oil lease. And that's really what got him started. He then, oh, and by the way, our company name, Keener, there's a producing sand in that part of western Pennsylvania called the Keener Sand. So Keener Oil and Gas Company was... Apparently, that first well was producing from the Keener sand, and so here we are. My grandfather eventually followed various oil booms that went on in Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, different places, but he ended up in Oklahoma, and Tulsa in particular, around 1910. He was able to acquire some leases when the Cushing Field, I believe, suddenly came in and became a huge producer of oil. We've been here ever since. He died in the oh the mid-20s, not too long after my father, Dewey Bartlett, and his older brother, Dave Bartlett, were born. After they went to college for a period of time, and then after World War II, where they each did service, 
they both came back to Tulsa to run the Keener Oil and Gas Company. We've been here ever since. So it's really a tremendous legacy that our family recognizes, but it's really something because it's one of the very few oil and gas companies that's still around that still has essentially the same ownership, our family. So it's quite a deal. It's really fun to tell the story because I'm a real firm believer in history, not only from the perspective of finding out what previous mistakes have been made and different things and how to avoid them, but also to provide a real sense of that history about the legacy that it provides and the opportunities that are understood. And certainly without Keener Oil and Gas Company, my dad never would have had the opportunity to get involved in politics, become governor and United States senator, specifically while he was in the Senate. He brought that knowledge of the oil and gas industry when OPEC suddenly became a big deal. And they started limiting the amount of oil that they would sell to all of their customers, including the United States, and led to a lot of <laughs> a lot of interesting things happen. So anyway, I can go on and on about all this, Mark, but I know you have other things to talk about as well. Well, no, I'm glad you mentioned about OPEC. I worked for Dewey, your dad, Senator Bartlett, as you, when he was U.S. Senator up in D.C. back in the 75-76 time frame as an intern and a staffer. One of my research opportunities was to read about OPEC because your dad was going to give a speech in Oslo, Norway before OPEC. And I didn't know a whole, whole lot about OPEC. And I really didn't, my family didn't come from the oil and gas industry background. So I had no background. So natural gas, oil were subjects that I started researching. And it winds up that the gentleman that introduced me to your dad for an internship was Cooper West out of Elk City, Oklahoma. And he had called Dewey and asked if there was any opportunities. I was very interested in being an intern in D.C. And it wound up that, and Cooper's in the oil and gas business, was interesting that Dewey said, yes, there's an opportunity, so come up to D.C. And because of your dad, I started getting interested, and because of Cooper, interested in the energy business. So by the time I graduated from college, I wound up calling around, called Cooper back and said, you know, I called Cooper for different references. <laughs> and one was to become involved in the oil and gas business. And it wound up that I got involved in the oil and gas business because of really the encouragement of Cooper and your dad and became a, a petroleum landman. And from there, got involved in the energy business. And I say all that because that was your, I think that's kind of the advice your dad had, wasn't it? I know your dad and your uncle kind of encourage you to, I know you, you had an interest going in the energy business, but they basically said, start off what, in the field? Is that right? And Yeah. My father always told me that you need to spend a significant amount of time working in the oil fields because that's where the money is made and lost for one thing. But also he really stressed the fact that if I did get involved with our company or just in the business itself, I had to be able to understand and have the ability to communicate with people in the field that understand what they were talking about, what their interests were as employees, but also as very significant employees because they supervised and oversaw the production of the produced oil or, or gas. They could really save you a lot of money or they could really screw things up. And so you really had to be able to communicate with them very well and properly, not take them for granted and understand that they had needs as well as employees and as just good, solid citizens. So anyway, he encouraged me to Working oil fields, I was able to get a job working with Halliburton. At that time, they had a what they called a yard in Enid, Oklahoma. And I worked with them for about two years, and I was in a program 
that allowed me to work on a variety of jobs that Halliburton did, anything from cementing oil wells to fracking and natural gas compressors that they serviced and all sorts of things. I had a great experience, but I really made some very, very good relationships, but understood significantly how all this stuff works. I was always amazed at how many people that have been in the business really didn't understand all the operations out in the field, didn't understand the vernacular or what people were talking about and all those sort of things. And I was fortunate that I listened to my father, (laughs) at least that time, and made sure that I did have a great experience out in the oil field and then went from there to working with a company in Oklahoma City called Beard Oil Oil Company, a fellow named Bill Beard. And he was a very visionary, very interesting man. He, at that time, it was fairly easy to get federal leases. They were very inexpensive. The royalty on them was an eighth. The leases generally would just cost a dollar an acre per year to have one for about 10 years. His position was that he could, for a fairly small amount of money, he could acquire several hundred thousand acres of non-producing federal leases throughout a variety of states, mainly in the Rocky Mountain areas. And he had, at one point, he had over two million acres of land leased. And his thought was that if he had all of this acreage, that he would more than likely end up very near somebody that had a pretty good well or a field, and that they would approach him to get a farm out or make a deal with him to drill on his land. That's exactly what happened. They became a very, very successful company at that point. And I had great experience uh, learning, working for Beard Oil Company. And they had a man named Bill Beard own the company. He was the primary owner, although they did become a public company at some point. But they, because of Bill's direction, they acquired several million acres of federal leases throughout a variety of the Rocky Mountain areas, many of which are extremely active even today. And his reasoning was that if he could acquire all of these federal leases at only a dollar an acre per year for a 10-year period of time, he would more than likely end up with something that was very near or next to an adjacent drilling project, prospect, or a field. That's exactly what happened. They would approach him and want to make a deal with him to get access to his lease. So he cut himself a nice position. And that became a very, very serious source of revenue for the company. And it really started them in a very big way. They went public and he became a very wealthy man as a consequence. Well, Dewey, this is five generations now, right, of the Bartlett family. I believe your son's involved now as well? Yes, he's in there now. He's actually the fourth generation. Fourth, okay. He's a petroleum engineer, graduated from University of Oklahoma about 10 years ago. He worked for several companies, mostly horizontal activity, but he also started out in the field. The company he first began to work for was a company called Newfield Energy. We were initially located in Tulsa. They moved to Houston, but then he ended up with two other companies, one for a short period of time, but they were all horizontally oriented, but they had acquired in their business arrangements some vertical wells. So he was, even though most of his compatriots were interested in horizontal wells, he was exposed to some vertical wells. He ended up calling up some of the people that worked at Keener because he had a hard time finding somebody that really had experience working on vertical wells. So he would call and ask advice from some of our field personnel. And so he was, we were helping him out initially. And so that was always nice to know. Well, it's wonderful to hear about adapting because that's what we have to do in the 
oil and gas industry, no question about it. Four generations, unbelievable. How many years total has your company existed? Wow, it's been, well, let's see, about 115 years. Unbelievable. So for 115 years, there's got to have been along the way some great challenges and opportunities. I usually use in my businesses and and everything that I'm involved with really, even personally, is a dashboard of sorts, showing metrics, measurements, checklists, those kind of things. What advice do you have and maybe have some history there as far as the challenges you've gone through? I mean, to think about where we are today, and you've seen all kinds of prices, right, (laughs) over the last few years besides in the early days. So can you kind of give us some tips of how to be successful? habits of success? Well, I think a big thing is certainly to stay in the business that you're very well acquainted with. At one point, back in the 1950s, I believe it was, 50s or or so, Keener decided they wanted to get in the supply business. So they opened up several offices in a variety of areas in, in Oklahoma where there was a lot of oil field activity going on. They called their company the Dewey Supply Company. Mm-hmm. And they had to spend a lot of money getting inventory and hired a lot of people and all this and that. It went on for I get, three or four or five years, I guess, when the industry had one of its downturns. It was really a, a real drag on the financial capability of the oil company. So they ended up selling it. My dad never said how much that they lost. He would say, well, we almost broke even. So I think that would be good advice is to stay with something that you really understand and know. Another thing would be controlling bank debt. We've seen time and time again, not just oil and gas companies, but other industries, other businesses, when they accumulate a huge amount of debt, that it can really, really sink a company. So I know that at one point when I had taken the company over, we were doing pretty well and I had accumulated, for us, quite a bit of debt. And when suddenly the prices dropped and we were really having some difficulty, as was the entire industry, but we were fortunate. We were able to sell a couple of leases that we had recently drilled and it had some success and we were able to pay off the bank debt and still put some money in our pocket. And I made a decision there that I was never going to do that again. So it's those type of things that really do play well, but getting back to the doing something that you know about. In the late 40s, in through the 50s, into the 60s, we got very involved with water flooding, mostly in northern Tulsa County, in partially in Osage County, in Washington County, which is where Bartlesville is located, and then to the east, the adjacent county of Nowata. We had participated in probably about 20 different water floods throughout those areas and did very, very well with them. One of the key ingredients was working with what was then called the Bureau of Mines. It was the forerunner of the Department of Energy. But the Bureau of Mines was very, very involved with supporting and acquiring information regarding the discovery and operation of oil and gas through other means other besides just drilling. They had a very strong engineering perspective, and they helped fund some of the studies that Keener was involved with, where they, the Bureau of Mines and Keener, came up with a couple different methods of producing a water flood and completing some of the wells, both the producing wells as well as the injection wells. They would initiate what was then a fairly new part of the industry, which was fracking. 
the conventional wisdom at that time was that if you had a water flood and you fracked a producing oil well in that flood, you'd kill the well and possibly kill the flood. Well, we found out that wasn't true, and it actually enhanced the operational capability of those producing wells in much the same that occurs today in normal operations, both in horizontal as well as in vertical wells. But they also would frack occasionally an injection well. The theory was that if the injection well was fracked properly, then it would expose a much larger area of that formation to accept the injected water and therefore theoretically wash more oil out of that formation towards the producing formation. So they were involved with that type of activity, but it was certainly something that they understood very well. They understood the risk involved, but they also understood that because of the good engineers that Keener had at that time, but also that one being my uncle and the other being my father, they were both engineers. But then the Bureau of Mines has some very, very good engineering capability as well. And they helped accumulate some really, really good reports that they would then disseminate to all of the industry and allow that good information to be spread out. And then other companies could take advantage of things that were done. So those type of things were again available to the oil and gas industry about oh, 20 years ago or so. And again, through the Department of Energy, but I think they changed their focus to other activities that are It's unfortunate they've done that, but they started looking at keeping track of nuclear energy, but also getting much more involved with the environmental green activities that the current administration is very active in. And it allowed those other types of research ideas to kind of go away. That was too bad because that was great information and it helped the industry a lot and helped the production of fossil fuels. Innovation and technology. I mean, 115 years you've seen through your company's history and what you've seen as being president as well. One thing you also added to your bio was being a mayor of Tulsa. And I remember being out at UCLA. I was asked to give a talk. And before I got out there, the gentleman asked me to speak. said, you know Dewey Bartlett Jr.? I said, yes. And he said, well, he's a mayor of Tulsa and he's putting in a program for Tulsa energy plan. And he said, well, could you brief that? When you give a talk at UCLA, I was going to talk about, I had a book out called America Needs America's Energy at that time. And he said, I want you to talk about that as well. So I got busy. And tell us about that, Dewey. You established some efforts in Tulsa and many things, very productive. But that was one that caught not only my eye, but out at UCLA. Well, it was interesting. I was really the only mayor that I was aware of that really had oil and gas in their background. And I thought that was a great opportunity to certainly look at the most necessary component of our capitalistic system, which is having access to reasonably priced energy, no matter what form it is. And at that time, the federal government had enhanced or had begun an energy policy study. And the state of Oklahoma had an energy secretary, a fellow named Bob Sullivan. And Bob, he and I were talking one day. He was an oil and gas producer here in Tulsa. He and I were both talking about it. And I said, well, you know, the city of Tulsa needs an energy policy because besides the city being founded on the energy industry, it would have been smart for us to acknowledge that, but look at the different facets of energy and what it contributes to the city. And are we doing enough to emphasize those qualities and do what we can to enhance them? We found out that in the manufacturing side of energy products, 
valves, tanks, switches, engineering, all these type of things. We ranked second only to Houston, Texas in the manufacturing of those things. And in further evaluation, we determined that if ever the industry were to slow down and the manufacturing of those qualities of those products might be slowed down as well, the upcoming alternative energy industry certainly has needs for very similar pieces of equipment, valves, switches, batteries, generators, good engineering services, and understanding of all those. And that has happened. We also needed to have an understanding of the significance of having access to electricity. And we're very fortunate that in Oklahoma and Tulsa, we have a variety of sources that is produced from. In Northeast Oklahoma, of course, we have hydro. The Grand River Dam Authority contributes a significant amount of electricity, both hydro generated, but also through the burning of coal and of natural gas. So it became very apparent that having access to a variety of sources of things to create electricity, it would be very beneficial, especially when one or the other might have a increased cost, then the other could take over and provide that electricity at a continue to provide at a reasonable, reasonable cost. It was that type of activity, Mark, that we just tried to bring a lot of knowledge to just that concept of energy, how important it is. We looked at, at a variety of companies that were located in Tulsa. We encouraged startup companies to begin. We gave lectures and sponsored people to understand having access to capital was very, very important, and having access to capital that understood the concept of energy was extremely important. So we brought in a lot of people that were involved with the equity providing of capital to the energy industry, and that helped start. At one point, we had 25 new startups that were based in Tulsa that were doing extremely well. So it really did create a real buzz. And I even went down to Dallas and Houston a few times and called on people to get them to move to Tulsa. And it generated some pretty interesting publicity into the local media that, you know, essentially they're saying, what the heck's this guy from Oklahoma coming down here and trying to steal our companies? Well, we had a little bit of success, but it was certainly fun to hear them complain about it because we're always saying, why don't you guys go leave Tulsa and go down to Houston when you were in Tulsa and you were the big deal and suddenly you're down in Houston and you're one of a thousand. That didn't make any sense. So I made that point. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. We're glad you were in Tulsa and stayed in Tulsa. And I think of all the efforts you've had at the not just only the local level and state level, but nationally and internationally. You might tell us a little bit more. I could go through the bio. I'd like to hear it from you about the marginal wells you've been involved with on a national level and also, I believe, about Japan. If you could tell us about, you know, networking and why I say this, networking and I'd say giving back are so important. And the oil and gas industries really does a wonderful job doing that. But for those that are upcoming leaders and those that are leaders today, how can we do more to not only give back, but become involved? Well, getting involved is very, very important because it does lead to networking. And the oil and gas industry is a relatively small group of people that has a very, very open mind about sharing information. At least most of the people I know are. We enjoy bringing other people into the fold, so to speak, and tell them what our accomplishments have been and how we got there and what was necessary to do that. Certainly being involved in the political process is very important. The ability to understand the good and bad parts of involvement by government needs to be understood 
And you need to be involved with that in order to make a point. If someone's constantly complaining about something, well, then find out what the problem is and go to the right people and say, I just want to respectfully disagree with you, or I want to respectfully suggest you might want to add this to whatever policies you're thinking about. And being able to have those relationships with the elected officials, but also as importantly, if not more importantly, to their staff members. And so many times the staff members really have more influence to policy than the actual elected official. Mark, you've seen that a lot in your experience, certainly when you were in D.C. as well. No question. You know, the involvement with boards, I was on the, and still am on the board of the National Stripper Well Association, for example. I was president of the board at one point for several years, and it's involved with the marginal wells that every company ends up with at some point. And the federal government has a tremendous amount of influence on tax policy and environmental impact on marginal wells. Most people don't understand that the marginal wells, the stripper wells in this country, there are several hundred thousand of them, and they contribute about 15% of the amount of oil that's produced daily in the United States of America onshore. And they're produced in about 20, 25 different states. We don't have to worry about hurricanes knocking them out because they're there in and out every day. They employ directly or indirectly thousands and thousands of people. So we, the Stripper Well Association, we have a great relationship with the elected officials, not only in D.C., but in our various states where we have a lot of production located. And They understand that we're just a very large number of small businesses that operate marginal wells. And we're there day in and day out. And many of them are like our company, multi-generational, been around a long time, very involved with our community and these type things. And then you also brought up Japan. When I was mayor, I was fortunate enough to develop a nice relationship with the Japanese ambassador to the United States. Through that relationship, he was able to set up a variety of meetings that I had in Japan is in about my second year while I was mayor in my first term of office. But I met with several companies in Japan, major companies like Mitsubishi and Fuji, Hitachi. I met with their largest electric provider. The focus was on energy. Japan being an island, they have to import practically all of their energy in some form, whether it's natural gas through liquefied natural gas, coal, the refined products from crude oil or crude oil itself. And they wanted to know what I knew about energy. And several things developed out of that, but one being the Grand River Dam Authority was looking for a very efficient natural gas generator that would be turbine powered. And I was able to hook up the people and they ended up spending several hundred million dollars to construct and install a Mitsubishi Hitachi manufactured natural gas turbine powered generator that was the most and still is the most efficient natural gas turbine generator in the world. And it's right in Pryor, Oklahoma. And that's led to a lot of people coming to Pryor to look at that machine and see how it works and talk to the people that operate it and all that sort of thing. But it finally led to my being appointed to an honorary position that I hold right now, being the honorary consul of Japan representing Oklahoma. And it's a position where in Houston is a gentleman called the Consul General of Japan. And that person works for the State Department and represents Japan to Oklahoma and to Texas. 
there's about 10 other consuls scattered around the United States in the major cities. But the consul that I report to, the general consul that I report to, consul general, I'm sorry, he relies upon me to tell him what's going on in Oklahoma. And if he comes to Oklahoma, I can then introduce him to the governor, lieutenant governor, mayors, leaders of large industries that are interested in Japan that would like to do business with Japan. Presently, there are about 60 different companies that are owned or partially owned by a Japanese company. So they do understand the significance of Oklahoma, but especially how Oklahoma contributes to the energy needs, not only of our area of the country, but also the knowledge that they can provide to the Japanese as well. So all these type of things, for example, that everything dealing with Japan came about because of a relationship that I was able to build with the Japanese ambassador to the United States. He was just a very, very interesting man. And he and I got to know each other pretty well. And he was educated in the United States. And I couldn't speak a word of Japanese, of course, still can't. But having that relationship, it certainly does speak volumes of what people can do when they do try to provide some common ground and do what's best for everybody's interests. Dewey, we really appreciate your leadership, not only on, again, the local and the state level, the regional level, the national level, internationally. We didn't even mention we're running out of time today. I hope to have you back on the Energy Fellows, the OEPA, the Oklahoma Energy Producers Association, which you're, or alliance that is, that you're chairman of. And there's so many other things that you've given back to and take the lead, giving speeches and giving opportunities and challenges for all of us. That Wow, we packed quite a bit in this short period of time. I hope to have you back to talk about more things that can encourage others and help them in their travels and their journeys, that is, and follow the pathways to their success and a roadmap for them to follow. You've been listening to Dewey F. Bartlett, Jr., and I want to mention upcoming episodes that will be coming up with the Energy Fellows. Stay tuned for that and go to the website for that, OGGN.com, and keep this in mind. The future of energy depends on us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. OGGN.com.